You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. So glad that you're here, and thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock. We're so glad to see each and every one of you. I'm glad that you were able to still make it. I appreciate the sacrifice that you've made to still be in church this afternoon, and next week we'll be right back to our normal 5 o'clock service time, but I'm so glad that you're here. I know it's a little bit of a change, maybe an inconvenience, but Nonetheless, I'm glad that you're here, and uh, let's dive right in to what God has for us uh, this, this evening, afternoon. I may get it all mixed up. I may say morning. I'll be all over the place. But actually, just before we do that, we have, over the last three weeks, we've been having a course that's offered, and it's an evangelism training course. And we've actually had 18 people who completed this course. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put them all on the spot and I'm going to ask them to all come up on the platform as I call your name. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you to get involved with learning how to share your faith. You say, why is that so important? In a day and age like we live in, many of you, you know the Bible, you know you're supposed to tell people, but the how to go about that is the hard part. And so it's been neat over the last several weeks getting to spend time. Some showed up in person, some were online, but we went through an evangelism training course. And if you did not get to go through this course, I'm going to encourage you when we offer it in November for you to make plans to either attend in person or online because I want you to have the tools to be able to witness to your family members, your coworkers, your loved ones, and 
maybe if you're single, you're going to witness that one person and you're going to end up marrying them. So who knows how God will work this out. So you want to be equipped. You want to be trained. So I'm going to do this in alphabetical order, and I'm just going to ask them to come up on the platform. And uh, we've got a certificate. And what we'll do is we'll clap for everybody once they've all come up here. And Pastor Miss Al, can I borrow you? Can you help me for a second? And if you can be the amazing assistant and can you pass out their certificates, if you would, sir? And I'm so grateful for his leadership in our life groups. Many of you have had so much success. Can you come up here, Pastor Messiah? We'll have them come up on the platform where they can be seen. And uh, we'll do it that way, if that's okay. And uh, so I'll call their name. And then, Pastor Messiah, if you can hand out their certificates. And then some of them didn't get a booklet, so you can give them a booklet. So right now, I'll call up Bradley Cole. If you want to come up to the platform first, let's invite Mr. Cole. Come on up. And uh, you know what? If you were a part of the evangelism class, instead of doing it one at a time, then everybody's going to want to clap for everybody. This will take an hour and be like a graduation service. If you attended the, gradu- the evangelism class, come up on the stage. We'll uh, give you a certificate. Come up on the platform. And we want to celebrate with you because what gets celebrated gets repeated. And I want to encourage all of you to attend an evangelism class. Plus, we want to get a picture of this first graduating class. So we'll wait till everybody has her certificate. And uh, then we're going to snap off some pictures, and uh, we'll just celebrate with you. So glad you're all here. This is great. All right. Excellent. You completed. If you did not receive your, your book, Pastor Masala has one there for you. So glad you're here. All right. Can we all together just celebrate and give them a round of applause for graduating the evangelism class? That's so great. Oh, we're still giving out some certificates. I may have messed up. The, uh, the, the order. We want everybody holding their certificate. This is like kindergarten again, you know? Everybody looks so nice standing up there. So thank you, thank you. Honey, can we get one more picture? I'm sorry. There we go. For social media, everybody holding up their certificate. Yeah, that's great. Excellent. One more round of applause as they head back to their seats. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Missile. And I wanted to do that because I want to make a plug for this next class. The next time you hear about an evangelism class, would you sign up? It was three weeks. We had a great time. We did some role playing on how to evangelize, how to share your faith, because many of them brought up that they know what they want to say. They just don't know how to dive into it. So I want to encourage you to participate if you would. Well, let's go to Acts chapter number 18 this morning, this afternoon. Acts chapter number 18. On the way over here. My son, Austin, said from the back, he said, hey, Dad, are we in Acts 18 today? And I said, we sure are. He's like, excellent. Can we play that game again where you give out gift cards? Except this time, can it be Chase gift cards? I was like, and he's like, can it have a few more zeros in it? I was like, man, where is this stuff coming from, you know? So uh, we're not going to play that game because I'll go broke, but it was a good idea. But I'm so glad that you're here. And joining us, I thank you once again for changing up your schedule to be in attendance. I also want to make an announcement on Friday, beginning Friday, right here, uh, October the 23rd. We're going to kick off our revival meeting. It'll begin right here. We've got a special time. And I hope that you can clear your schedule for those three consecutive days. It'll be the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And I know it's a a big block of time where we're, as a church, going to seek the Lord. During the day, I'm going to encourage you to fast. I'm going to encourage you to uh, maybe cut out a meal where you pray that God would not only revive our church work and revive our city, but also that we would see a revival sweep our nation. And so as a church, we're going we're gonna to focus on that. And you'll come in each night. The service will be slightly different. The first night, we're going to focus on more of uh, prayer and worship. And so you don't want to miss out. We're going to begin right here. And then we're going to encourage you to fast all day. And if you, if you can, or maybe you're going to give up a meal. And then after each service, we have a meal planned for you. So we'll break the fast together. So I want you to, to pray about, yeah, I can, I can give up breakfast. And then if you're in a life group, I'm going to encourage your life group leaders and, and for you to, to carve out a time each day. You say, you know what, let's jump on a Zoom call or we'll, we'll create a text message thread among our group. We're going to pray, and we're going to fast, and we're going to ask God to do something supernatural. And this will be a great event where you can invite and share and let other people know to attend. We're going to be here on Friday night, and then they use this auditorium on Saturday evening. So we're going to be renting Primera Baptist. If you came last year to our Thanksgiving, that's where we're going to be located. And then Sunday evening, we'll conclude our three-day revival right back here 
at our normal service. But it's going to be, I believe, a powerful three days together. Uh, I'm excited what God's going to do in my heart. And I hope that we spiritually get ready to see God move. Well, Acts chapter number 18, we're continuing to work through the book of Acts. And one person, as they were studying, one theologian said about Acts 18, you'll notice that Paul is bringing about so many ideas, but one of his core ideas is he's going to talk about two ships in this passage. You say, what do you mean two ships? He's going to talk about discipleship and hardship. These are the two ships every Christian will travel on, discipleship and hardship. They're the constants among the Christian life. And many times when it comes to hardships, we often think that we're doing something wrong. But more often than not, life in general is hard. It's difficult. Even when you're doing something good, when you're doing something right, there'll be those who will maybe try to stop you from doing it or, or, or not encourage you the way you thought. And so the Apostle Paul is facing a difficult time. In chapter 17 last week, he was in the city of Athens, and we saw him defending his faith at the Areopagus. The Areopagus was a place where uh, theologians, not necessarily Christian, just uh, people who studied all different types of religions, would debate world religion. They would debate whether or not uh, salvation came through Jesus Christ alone. And so Paul, he, he spends some time there by himself, and he's, he's telling them about Jesus Christ. And we see that there's two people he won to Christ that we know of, and then he said there was a few others. And so he's coming off of that, and then he comes into the city of Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth was a major city in that day and age in Greece. It was, a, it was an epicenter for trade. It was an epicenter for not only trade, but also these uh, temples. And one predominant temple was the, to the goddess Diana. And so they would say that there was a thousand priestesses that lived in that temple. Now, how you would worship the uh, goddess Diana was very pagan, very wicked, very sensual. It was, it was a very debauched culture. And so in that day and age, when you would talk about the city of Corinth or when they would act out and your character was from Corinth, everything you said, your speech was to be slurred because they said everybody from Corinth is just drunk all the time. Corinth in that day and age, it was a, uh, uh, right off the Mediterranean Sea, so it was a trade route, so many people would pass through for commerce. And so it began to be known as this place of debauchery, a place of sin. And so... Paul, wanting to always go to places where the gospel would have the most impact. Paul was never one to necessarily focus on the smaller towns and cities. Paul wanted to use his life to reach the big cities, to reach the places that had a lot of influence. When you think of Corinth, you could think of a place like uh, Los Angeles or San Francisco or a place like Las Vegas, a place that has a lot of influence but yet can also have a shady side to it. And so Paul decided to go there because he knew if the gospel can transform a wicked, godless place like Corinth, it can go anywhere. And so Paul goes here, and we find that Paul begins to experience not only just great opposition, but also some great opportunities. And you'll find that that'll happen wherever you go. Wherever you face great opportunities, there always be great oppositions. And many times we'll quit when we face opposition. But I want to encourage us from Paul because Paul, even though he's greatly discouraged, he understands that he is under and he's, in, he's doing what God has called him to do. So let's dive into verse number one because I want to give us plenty of time in the word of God. So notice verse number one. The Bible says this. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Now, tent makers, as I was studying, I realized that tent makers didn't mean they just made tents for nomads. What tent making meant is that they would work with leather, Paul was good at working with leather. Now, they might make tents, but also he would make anything you wanted out of leather. Because in that day and age, be in ministry as a priest, they wanted to make sure you had a job. Because if you worked at the synagogue, 
you did not receive a salary for doing that. So it was important that they had another trade. So Paul had a trade. His trade was tent making. And you're going to see that over the next year and a half while Paul is in Corinth, he's going to be bivocational, meaning he's going to work and he's going to be serving the Lord. He's going to be busy making tents. Now, Paul does that by choice because it opened up doors into that city to meet with people and to have a conversation with people to be able to share the gospel with people. And I love that Paul gives that illustration because many of you may not be able to relate to the fact that Paul would go into a synagogue and preach, but when you hear that Paul would go into the marketplace and share his faith, all of a sudden you're thinking, I can do that. I work at this tech company. Hey, I work at this retail place. Oh, I work at this construction site. Hey, Paul did the same thing. Paul was able to share his faith wherever he was. And so it's important for us to notice those details as we study the scripture. Let's continue reading. Verse number four. And it says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Verse number eight, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized this is exciting you get to verse number eight and you see that Paul is starting to get some momentum he's starting to see some great things happen this man who just received Christ was the leader of the synagogue so the leader of the synagogue who had influence in the Jewish community he just gave his life to Christ not only did he give his life to Christ, but it says everyone in his household. Now, this meant his family, his extended family. And in that culture, what you would see is as someone in the family would get married, you would just add on to the house or you'd build another lay, uh, uh, level in the house. So family units were tight-knit. They lived close. They all lived kind of in the same building. And so Paul said, here you see this person reach. And then he talks about all these other people who are reached and baptized. All of a sudden, you would look at verse number eight and you would say, Paul, why are you discouraged? You've got some momentum. You just won the synagogue leader to Christ. Why are you frustrated? Why are you disappointed? Paul, things are going the way you want them to go. So let's notice verse number nine. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night, in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. I find that puzzling. You say, why? Because Paul is in a moment where it's like things are going well. He hasn't been stoned. He's not in jail yet. There's no demon-possessed woman chasing him around the city. There's nothing going on. Why, why would God have to say to Paul, don't be afraid? Because Paul is afraid. Paul is concerned. And at first, I didn't get it. You see, sometimes we read through Scripture and we don't really think about what's actually happening. So think for a moment. Why would Paul be discouraged? Why would Paul be afraid? Why would Paul be in a moment feeling like he, there's anxiety? Why would all that be happening? Well, this is why it's so important for us to kind of march through Scripture chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because now it gives us context. It's important to have context. Ever gotten in an argument with somebody, you didn't have all the facts, and then you just end up feeling really dumb? Because why, you didn't have all the contacts, and yet you really went off on that person, and the person tells you why, and you're like, oh, now I feel really bad. You see, Paul, with context, we understand that the last several cities that Paul has come to, the moment he starts getting momentum, what happens? Something bad happens. You see, the moment somebody would get saved, he would then be stoned, thrown in prison, beaten all kinds of bad things were happening. So after city after city, and you can trace five different cities that Paul had either been stoned, beaten, jailed, harassed, or chased out of the city. Five previous cities. The last five previous cities, he did not leave on his own accord. He didn't leave and say, what a pleasant city. Here's a good Yelp review. He didn't do that. 
He didn't do that. TripAdvisor, I give that city a 10, you know? He wasn't doing that. No, he was chased out of every city. So all of a sudden, you know what his mind's doing? Because we're creatures of habit, and we can give in to past patterns, and our pattern of our past can keep us locked. And so Paul all of a sudden is thinking, oh, things are going well. You know what that means? Something bad's about to happen. He's waiting for the other shoe to drop. And some of you are the exact same way. Oh, the marriage is going well. Something bad's about to happen. Oh, the job's going too well. Uh, I'm about to lose it. And then you start giving into fear. My wife, we used to do this thing, all right, because we would argue so often. She'd be like, wow, it's been a while since we argued. I'd be like, don't say that. You just jinxed us, all right? Now we're going to fight. And we would actually fight about the fact we hadn't fought. You know, it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So Paul, in this moment, his momentum is messing him up. And that's what I want to talk to you today about, is don't let momentum mess you up. Because some of you, once things start going well, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's about to go bad. It, it, I knew it couldn't last forever. I knew that God didn't love me that much. I knew that something bad had to happen. I knew it was too good to be true. Wait a minute. So God has to show up in Paul's life and said, hey, don't be afraid. And then God had to tell him, speak. Why would God have to tell Paul to speak? Because Paul wasn't going to speak anymore. And who was going to win if Paul didn't speak? The devil. Paul is seeing momentum. He's seeing the leader of the synagogue saved. He's now moved his ministry. He's seen great success. And God has to tell Paul, don't just speak, but as you break it down, God is telling Paul, keep speaking. Keep doing what I've called for you to do. Because here's what God said in verse number 10. I love the end. For I have many people in this city. I hope you underline that and circle that because I believe that's what God has called Southridge Church. I believe God is saying to Southridge Church, there is many people in this city for you to reach. That's why we need a whole army of people trained up who know how to take the word of God and know how to open it up and tell people how they can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven is their eternal home. How they can know that all men are sinners and that all men are worthy of death. But God sent his son, Jesus, to be a propitiation. What is a propitiation? It simply means a payment for your sin and my sin so that we can have eternal life. So God is telling Paul, there are Christians in the making in this city. And if you don't speak, they won't hear. Romans 10, Paul even says it, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. And then it goes on to say, and how shall they hear without a preacher? What is a preacher? A proclaimer. What was a preacher? Somebody who lifted up their voice, who cried aloud, who said, thus saith the Lord. Now, preacher doesn't mean somebody who's theologically trained, seminary trained. A preacher just meant somebody who would lift up their voice and tell people about the truth. All of us can be a preacher. All of us can point people to the cross that Jesus died on and shed his blood for all men. So Paul is learning something. Don't let momentum mess you up. And so many times I see this as Christians. You start saying, man, I had a really good week in my devotions. It probably won't last. Man, I don't think I could ever fast that long. I don't think I could ever send somebody to invite somebody to church or tell the gospel to somebody. You are letting momentum mess you up. You are letting when something good happens, you start all of a sudden prophesying doom all over it. And we need to learn. And I'm encouraged that Paul does what I do sometimes. That I can get discouraged. I can get things and and want to step back. But we need to understand momentum doesn't have to mess us up. So don't let it mess you up. So the Apostle Paul, he continues on. Verse number 11. I love this. The Bible says this. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. How powerful is that? I'm so thankful that Paul listened. We're going to see the benefits of that. We're going to see the reason that Paul listened. Because for Paul, it was easy. He had been chased out of Thessalonica. He'd been chased out of Berea. And he'd been chased out of Athens. And now he's come to Corinth. And at Corinth, he's thinking, man, is is this it? And all of a sudden now, he needed somebody to tell him, hey, Paul, you keep going. Don't stop here. Paul, don't walk away yet. Paul, don't throw in the towel. You see, Paul was able to stand because of what God said to him. This is why it's so important to listen to the voice that matters. Notice, Paul hears a voice. You you and I are all hearing all different types of voices. The news will give you a voice. Social media has a voice. 
Movies has a voice. Music has a voice. Your spouse has a voice. A boyfriend, girlfriend has a voice. Your friends have a voice. Everybody is speaking to you whether you realize it or not. And nowadays, you can just start talking about things, and all of a sudden, ads will start showing up on your phone, push notifications, because Alexa and Siri, they're always listening, right? And all of a sudden, you just start seeing ads for things you're talking about because they're listening. But here, Paul hears a voice, and it's the right voice. What if Paul, notice, notice this, think about this. What if Paul would have listened to his own voice? His own voice was the voice that was keeping him in fear. His own voice was the voice that was going to make him stop preaching. Some of us have believed the lie that our voice is the most important voice, and it's not. This is why we always take the word of God and say, hey, I'm feeling this about my marriage. I'm feeling this about a job opportunity. I'm feeling this about moving. No, no, where do you see it in God's word? What is God saying to you? Because you are not, your voice is not the most important voice. It's God's. And Paul is proving that to us. Paul is saying, hey, I didn't even trust my own voice. His own voice would keep him trapped in fear. His own voice would keep him trapped from speaking the gospel. So here Paul had to listen to the voice of God. Let me ask you a question. Which voice in your life is the loudest? Because many of you are letting secularism be the loudest voice, humanism be the loudest voice, political things be the loudest voice. You're letting somebody else be the loudest voice when God is saying, wait a minute, I know the end from the beginning. You should let God be the loudest voice in your life because the voice you listen to will determine the life you experience. The voice you listen to will determine the life you experience. And some of you know you've listened to, long, to the wrong voices and look where it's got you. So it's time to humble ourselves and say, God, am I hearing from you on this? And God, can you confirm that this is your will? I loved it. Today was the last day of our evangelism class, and I try to go through a proverb every day. And I went to Proverbs chapter number 11, read down through verse number 32 or 33, and it says, he that wins souls is wise. And I love that. That's confirmation that we are doing exactly what God wants us to do. Because when you open God's word and when he confirms in his word, there is peace. Even in the midst of all these things may be going wrong, you have a peace. You see, Paul is about to face a major opposition. You say, how so? Let's go back to verse number 12. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should hear and why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallo took no notice of these things. So Paul remained a good while. Paul, if he would have listened to his voice, never would have seen God move in a way that he saw God move. See, God said, don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. And God protected him by using a newly elected official. Many of us think, Gallo, who is that? Well, he's not that famous. But his brother is. Who's his brother? Socrates. That was his brother. This is the relation, okay? So, so, so you see that, that God can use some people that you would think, God would never use that person to, to defend the cause that God has. Yes. If you're obeying God, God can open doors that you never thought he would open. He'll use people that you thought they're not going to be for the faith. But here, this man by the name of Gallo is saying, no, 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 I'm for Paul. Don't try to stop what Paul is doing. And Paul's in the most wicked, godless city. They had 1,000 priestesses that would come down from the temple at night, and they would, they would work their trade. And we've got children in the audience, so I won't go into the graphic detail of what they would do. But this is a wicked city. This is a godless place. But yet God said, I have a great work. There are many people that are becoming Christians in the making because Paul, he listened to the right voice. What voice are you allowing to speak to you? What's the loudest voice in your life? Because today, sadly, less than 20% of Christians read their Bible daily. Less than 20%. 50% of America claims to be Christian, which is about 150 million Americans claim to be Christians. But yet 20% or less read their Bible daily. Now, 
The length does not matter. It's just that they open their Bible or they turn on the app. You know what that tells me? We're not listening to God. And how can a people called by God who don't listen to God, how can we experience his blessing? We pray for his blessing, his provision, but we never listen to what his word says because his word will guide you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. You see, when it comes to God's word, Christians, we used to be all about the book. As a matter of fact, this used to be all we were about was the book. But nowadays, many of us, we don't know anything about the book. And we need to get back to the point where we say, you know what, we're getting back to the book because we want to hear from God. Now, some of us are sitting here saying, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier if God would just part the clouds, say my name, and then just tell me what he wants me to do. That'd be so much easier, Pastor. That's just, that's just kind of what I want. I heard Pastor Tony Evans say this, and I want you to hear it. The Bible is the voice of God in print, my friend. Let me say it again. You're wanting to hear a voice of God. The Bible is the voice of God in print. So open it and read it and heed it. Because this book will change your life. Many of you are making foolish decisions, decisions that are unwise because you're not consulting this. You're trusting your own mind. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Lean not unto thy own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Many of us are trying to direct God's path. Many of us are saying, oh God, would you bless this venture? And oh God, would you do this? And God's saying, how about you let me direct your paths? I can see the end from the beginning. Let me direct you. Let me steer you. Let me help you. Because we make many foolish decisions, and then we come back after the fact, and then we beg God to have mercy on them. Instead of saying, you know what, why don't I just listen to God the first time? And you know what we're afraid of? We're afraid of that God's going to come back and say, I told you so. God's not there to do that. That's what our spouse, oh, never mind, I shouldn't go there. I shouldn't. Filter didn't catch it in time. I'm in trouble. I'm going to need a couch to sleep on tonight. So before you leave, Paul was about to leave Corinth. So before you leave, listen to the word of God. Somebody about to leave on something. And before you leave that, you need to listen to God. Somebody about to make big decisions, big changes, and I got to ask you a question. Did you really hear from God on that one? Because I have people calling me all the time saying, hey, man, ever since I left that place, man, I've just, I, it's not the same. Something's different. And I want you to be fully compliant in the will of God. Paul was about to miss out on a year and a half of great ministry. We would have missed out on the church being established at Corinth. And we would have missed out out of two great books of the Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are all about this church. Now, this church is a rough church, but understand, this church, God uses in a powerful way because there's two people in this church, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila are going to be mightily used by God because they're going to help a man by the name of Apollos receive the power of the Holy Ghost. And Apollos and Paul are kind of dual in their ministries, and they both have this powerful dynamic ministry. Though Scripture and history tell us more about Paul Apollos had equally just as much of a profitable ministry as Paul. And God used him. Why? Because Paul said, before I leave, because I'm afraid, because things are going well, so you know what? I might as well just go myself. I worked with a previous pastor, and he said, I was always very small. I was always undersized. And he said, you know, I got bullied so much in high school that they would always throw me in the trash can, always throw me in the trash can. He said, I got so conditioned to being thrown in the trash can. He said, as soon as I saw the bullies coming, I took off the lid of the trash can, and I just jumped in. And I feel like some of us do that spiritually too. We're just like, you know what? I know it's about to go bad. I might as well just mess it up myself. Some of us mess up our blessing before the devil can. Some of us, we destroy the good things that God is doing instead of simply saying, God, you got to help me. I, I know my human nature. I know my pride. I know my evil heart. So God, I got to humble myself and say, Lord, I need you today. Because many of us are just waiting. Well, I'll just wait till the next momentum or motivation comes in. No, 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 no. Don't wait for that because momentum can mess you up. And Paul decided, I'm going to hear from God before I leave. But notice this. To hear God's voice, you must turn down the world's volume. Let me say it again. To hear God's voice, you must turn down the world's volume. Because the world is so loud nowadays. Have you noticed they're just getting louder? 
Or am I just getting older? You know, we used to, uh, older people, like, you know, hey, turn down, that music's too loud, turn that down. No, no, that's not what it is. The world is getting louder, and the world's creeping more and more. Now, let me step back for a second. When I talk about the world, I'm talking about a cultural system, a system that wants to normalize things that no Christian should think is normal. A system that wants you and I to think that abortion is just normal, that human trafficking is just normal, that drugs is just normal, that divorce is just normal, that premarital sex is just normal, that, you know what, just, uh, just living together is just normal. You know, they, they, this is all normal, that, you know, that it's just kind of normal for pastors to get into affairs, and it's just kind of normal this stuff happens, and, and just trying to normalize things that you and I should never be desensitized to. I remember growing up, and I would see things on television. My parents would be shocked that I would see that. They would try to rush for the TV and turn it off because they didn't want me to be exposed to things. And what they were really trying to do is to make sure that there were certain things that, they didn't, that I didn't think was normal. There were certain things they didn't want me to have a view that that was normal. But as Christians, sometimes we, have this, we allow the world's systems to influence us that we think things are normal that actually shouldn't be normal. What should be normal is Christians who have a red-hot, passionate walk with God, where we love God's Word, where you would wake up every day and you couldn't think about going without that, that Word every day, where you wouldn't think about going that day without praying that day, where you wouldn't think about, hey, I need to do, do something good for God. I need to share my faith. Or, you know, I need to love my spouse. I need to love my children. I need to be faithful to God in His house. I want to be, I want to be a Christian that God, God can use in a mighty way. That used to be normative. But nowadays, if you see a Christian like that, it's abnormal, not normal. And what we've happened is the fact that Christianity has become so subnormal that if we ever got too normal, we would think it was abnormal. That's what's happening. And we need to get back to the point, and this is why our church believes that we need to have a revival. This is why we believe that God wants to stoke up the embers, that God wants to stir up that fire. Anybody ever go camping out there? Let me see your hands. Do you like to go camping? Good for you. I hate camping, Uh, but that's great. We can use the illustration of a fire, right? I'm just bad at camping, okay? I'm just not good at camping. I like glamping. That's great. Camping's a whole different ball game. But you ever gone out in the morning and there's the fire and the embers are there? What do you do? You grab a stick, you start poking around, stirring it up, and you grab some kindling, you pour some fire on it, you pour some gasoline on it. You just do whatever you got to do to get that fire going. Some of you are the exact same way. You have cooled, the embers are starting to turn gray, they're starting to turn that white color where you know these things are about to go out forever and they need to be stirred, they need to be poked, they need to be prodded. We need to stir some things up. And so God wants to stir some things up in your life and so that's why our church needs revival because the world's trying to drown out the voice of God and this is why it's important to fast sometimes this is why it's important to shut out the world's voice this is why it's okay every once in a while to say you know what we just we're gonna go today without any 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 television any internet we're just gonna we just want to hear from God so let's block everything out for a day let's just make today about family and God and and just seeking him so we we can hear his voice can I tell you something Whenever I fast, you know one of the things that, I, that I, I thoroughly enjoy is how clear the voice of God is. Pastor Miss and I, we would talk about this when we would fast. I mean, you'd be into that fast and you would just think, man, I hate fasting because I'm really hungry, but I love how clear the voice of God is. I love that he's right there and I'm jealous for you to experience that. That's why during the revival, I want to encourage you, skip one meal, maybe two, maybe a whole day, and you're just going to be able to have this, this you're going to be in tune with God. All of a sudden, things are going to happen. You're going to be like, oh man, I said that to a coworker, and you're going to, you're going to feel bad. Where normally you wouldn't feel bad. You're going to want to get it right. You're going to say something to your children, your spouse, and you'll be like, man, that was rude. I couldn't believe I did that because the Holy Spirit's speaking. All of a sudden, you'll open up the Word of God, and it's going to be so good. You just want to stay there. This morning, I got in my Bible, and I wanted to keep reading and keep reading. It was like my soul was like a dry desert, and the Word of God was just this rain from heaven, and it was just nourishing my dry soul. That's what God wants for each and every one of us, to experience that. But we, we've got the, the volume of the world turned so turned up. You see, and he would have missed something. You see, when God was speaking to Paul, he told him several things that I think are worth noting. First of all, God says, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Notice this. When God spoke, he said, hey, you have my presence with you. 
You have my protection, but also I'm giving you my plan is to reach many people through your ministry. So you need to keep speaking. If Paul would have had the world turned up, he wouldn't have heard God give him those promises. You see, I actually believe that God is speaking so clear to you, but you've got so much noise turned up. Your household may be like mine. Three young children, all about the same age. You try to sit down at dinner. You might have a Spotify music on. You might have a television on. And you might have three kids all trying to talk. And then you're trying to have a conversation with your spouse. Nobody's hearing nothing. It's just all this noise, and it's frustrating. And I think God feels the same way. He's trying to have a conversation with just you, and he wants to tell you something important, but he knows that you're too distracted. He knows you've got too much going on. And so God has these promises that will encourage you. So I love the fact that Paul listened. So notice this. So Paul, he hears a voice. Notice verse number 18. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria and Priscilla, and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. I know I'm skipping ahead just a little bit, but let me work back. He hears from God, and in response to what he heard from God, Paul makes a vow. He hears a voice, he makes a vow. Immediately, I was curious. What kind of vow did Paul make that he has to get a haircut, and it's so important that he got a haircut that he wanted to put it in a Bible that you and I, thousands of years later, are going to be reading? Was it a spectacular barber? I mean, what did he get? How did he get a haircut? Was it a crew cut, flat top? Was it uh, something new? How did he get it faded? Like, why is this haircut so important? And many people believe that over the last 18 months that Paul made a Nazarite vow. You say, what's so important about a Nazarite vow? A Nazarite vow had three components. The first component was that you would not cut your hair. You would let your hair grow out. Second component, you wouldn't touch anything dead. The third component is you would drink no, nothing from the vine. No wine, no alcohol, nothing from the vine. So for 18 months, the Apostle Paul, if you would look at him, his hair would grow long, and he wouldn't touch anything from the vine, which meant at every party in that day and age, it was very common to drink wine because it was a disinfectant. The water back then wouldn't be as pure as what you and I would have, and so wine would kill a lot of the bacteria. So Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to abstain from any of that. So he would have stuck out like a sore thumb. Here's a guy that won't touch anything dead. Here's a man who won't drink anything from the vine. And here's a man who's letting his hair grow out. Because Paul wanted to be a contrast that counts. He wanted the world to know, I'm different from you. I didn't say I'm better than you, but I'm different. He wanted a noticeable difference because Corinth was so wicked, so debauched, that everybody blended in. And he said, as a Christian, i got to stand out. If I'm going to have an effective ministry, if God has given favor on this ministry, not that God asked me to make a vow, but I'm going to do everything I can in my human power to say, God, I want you to use me. And so I'm going to make a vow. God didn't ask him to. It was his response to the goodness of God. Paul decided to act on what God was stirring inside of him because he wanted his life to stand out, to be different. What about you and I? After you hear from God, what are you willing to do to say, hey, I want to be a little bit different. I want to stand out. I want to be a, I want to be a contrast that counts. You see, Corinth had a horrible reputation. You could tell when somebody was from Corinth because, like I said earlier, their speech was always stirred. They slurred, excuse me. It was always just kind of they walk around like they were always drunk. And many people would understand that Paul was talking about you need to be different, you need to be separate. And so Paul wanted that. Paul even wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. And be you separate, says the Lord. And don't touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Those are two parts of the Nazarite vow. He's saying, hey, I want you to be different. If you're going to reach them, there should be something different about your life. You see, I'm afraid that many times, we were talking about this in our evangelism class, that we, when it comes to evangelizing to our neighbors and coworkers, we don't want to do it because we're afraid our coworkers and our neighbors are going to be like, oh, you're a Christian? I was going to witness to you, but you're witnessing to me? Oh, that's a surprise. Because we know that we're not any different. And Paul is reminding the church of Corinth, hey, you guys be different. And Paul even gave them an example about being different. You say, why should I be different? 
because of what Peter writes in 1 Peter 2. He says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You're a chosen people. God's saying you're different. Act differently. And many of us, we have a hard time because we live in a culture that says blend in, fit in, don't stand out, don't be different, don't buck the system. But here, God is calling you and I to say, listen to my voice, make a vow so that your life is different, that your life has some contrast. And I love the fact that God never demands it, he just desires it. God doesn't put this demand on you, he just desires it. He just left Paul as an example, as somebody who said, you know what, I can live in Corinth, I can live as a godly person. Because some of us feel like, you know what, my job, you just, you just have to be like this. No, you don't. You say, well, at my company, they just expect me to have these views about the world. No, you can be different because when you're different, you can make a difference. It's cliche, it's cheesy, but it's true. I go to the gym, and when I go to the gym and I want help, I look for the person that looks like they know this movement or they look like they're in the best shape to give me advice. The person that can hardly do the movement or the muscle up or whatever we're doing, the person that doesn't look like uh, they've eaten anything green and leafy in a couple decades, that's the person I'm not really going to get advice from. And yet you and I as Christians, we're like, I just don't know why. Nobody listens to me when I try to share my faith. Could it be that we're not any different? Could it be that they look at our life and they're thinking, what, what is different about Why would I want whatever it is you, you're offering? There should be something so markedly different you see when you saw Paul walking through Corinth you were like there's an interesting dude now Paul history does record what he looked like Paul was a short man they estimate a little over five foot about five foot two bow-legged meaning he walked and it looked like he may have had some type of a scoliosis because his legs were bent outward and he had a big hooked nose beady eyes and some people said when you saw Paul he was a notice he just struck you it's just kind of, hey, there's a character. Now, now imagine this guy with long hair. He's just like, he's a troll. That's what he is. He's a troll. I mean, there, there really is such a thing as a troll. Long, old hair, short, you know. I was like, yes, this guy's a troll. That's what he would have looked like. So here's a man, and all of a sudden, then he starts preaching with power about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, that would strike you. You would stop what you're doing to look and say, that man is crazy. And all of a sudden, God would be able to work and use him. You see, sometimes people around you need a demonstration that you're different. And the world's looking for that demonstration, but the church is saying, no, let's blend in. Let's have a look about us that's the same. Let's act like we're the same. I'm, I'm, I'm burdened about churches nowadays. I'm burdened by some of the things that I'm hearing churches say nowadays. Some of the things that they're putting a priority on. I'm burdened by the fact of how little emphasis on the word of God I'm hearing from churches. Over the last 200 days, churches have talked about everything but the gospel. Churches have focused on everything but that men are sinners and they are in need of a savior. We've made it everything but Jesus. But all the while, we claim to be a church. We claim to point people to Jesus. But yet, how much preaching has been Christ-centered preaching? We sang this, this afternoon, Jesus at the center of it all. It's a very popular song written by Israel Houghton. It's a great song. But my fear is how many churches actually believe that Jesus is at the center of it all? Because you have more Christians who are dropping and leaving the faith. You have more people that when push comes to shove, you question them that is Jesus truly the only way to heaven? Christians who claim to be born again will punt on that answer. Say, well, maybe not. Because we know it's offensive. We know people don't want to hear that Jesus, yes, is the only way. Because to admit that means if he's the only way, I've got to follow it and do it his way. There's only one way. There's only one way to do this. So what's so different about you? You see, it's important to be a Christian, but what makes your life different than that of a Mormon? You know, Mormons recruit more Christians out of Christianity than any other group. Mormons love talking to Christians because they know something that a lot of Christians, we have jacked up family lives. So Mormons realize what you really want, what your wife really wants, what your husband really wants, is you want a great family life. And man, they have marked that. Look at our happy families. Look at it. Seven plus kids. We have a white minivan. I mean, they just, they just market that thing. Look at us. Look at, look at our, all our nice little clothes. We all kind of match and everything, you know. 
And they just market it like, like down home, American pie type, you know, just like, yeah, just like solid people. Like, I want to be one of them. And they, they steal away Christians all the time. Why? Because Christians are actually chasing what they have. Their lives are more different than our lives. Or what's so different about you and a Jehovah's Witness? I mean, you got to give it to Jehovah's Witness. They never celebrate their birthdays or any national holidays. They don't stand for the national anthem. I mean, they're, they're very different. They stand out. Even their buildings, they all look the same. You just got to, what about a Buddhist? What's different? They've got that Zen peace thing going on. And many of us would, would say, yeah, what is better about Christianity? Because my life should be reaping the benefits, but if I'm never listening to the one who gives me power and strength, I was talking to a couple doing marriage counseling this week, and I said, you know, the, the secret that you guys need is found in Ephesians. The Bible says that God has given a grace to each. Meaning, God will give you a grace to withstand any situation. But a lot of young married couples don't know that there's a grace to get through that storm. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's frustrating. But God's grace will, will give you extra strength. And instead of walking away from the relationship, there's a grace there. So Paul, we see he heard this voice. Paul makes this vow. And because of that, notice Paul experiences great victory. You say, what do you mean great victory? I want to go back to verse 11 through 17. Paul standing through for the, the government of Achaia before Gallo. And there was the leader of the synagogue. The leader of the synagogue was Sosthenes. Sosthenes wanted Gallo, the governor of this city of Corinth, to put Paul in prison to beat him or to chase him out of the city. That's what Gallo wanted because Gallo was watching the people that were coming to the temple, the attendants, less and less each week. He was thinking, man, last week I had 100 at the synagogue. This week I got 95. The next week, he saw more, and then he would look out the window. Because remember, Paul started ministering at Justice's house, which was next door to the synagogue. So that's smart. He put up a preaching station next door to the synagogue because he wanted to reach those Jews. He wanted to reach them. And so Sosthenes wanted to get Paul kicked out, so he goes for the governor. And all of a sudden, we see that instead of Paul getting beaten, no, who, notice who gets, gets beaten. Verse 17, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. Paul's like, oh, this is a nice change. No, it's me who's getting beaten. It's nice that somebody else finally gets beaten. You say, where's the victory, pastor? This is why I think it's so important that you and I study the Bible. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, please? 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. You see, when we want to know God's Word, we need to look at all of it because... It all fits so well, and it gives us the context we need. This 1 Corinthians 1, notice if we would, beginning verse number 1. Paul's writing back. He's left the church of Corinth, and he's writing them a letter to encourage them. Verse number 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God, and what's the name? Sosthenes, our, what's the word? Wait a minute. Did you catch what happened? Did you catch what happened there? Paul is calling him a brother. Now, some of you may not like this, but did you know the Bible says, don't even say God bless you to somebody who's not a Christian or in the household of faith? The Bible says, don't, don't, even, don't, don't give them that blessing. I know we don't talk about it in the church, but the Bible says, don't, don't offer your hand. Don't bless somebody who's not in the household of faith. God's word says that. But here Paul is saying, Sosthenes, our brother. What's happened to Sosthenes? He's been converted to Christianity. That's powerful because while Paul was in Corinth, listen, folks, listen, he converted two leaders of the synagogue. There was two people that were the leaders of the synagogue that Paul won them to Christ and they're brothers in the faith and he's writing to them and encouraging them. You see, you don't understand that if you leave too soon, you're going to miss out on all that God has for you. That God is saying, if you listen to my voice, I have some great victories because in that synagogue, those people would be the hardest to reach. The leaders of the synagogue, you've got to understand the amount of training that they would prepare, the amount of studying of the Old Testament they would have. These would be the hardest people to reach. But here Paul is writing and saying, God gave us a great victory in that city. So some of you, don't let your momentum mess you up because God has a great victory if you will tune into his voice. Because the victory that Paul experienced was connected to the voice he listened to. And the voice said, stay. And I don't know what the voice is saying to you, but you've got to listen to God's voice this afternoon. Amen? It's exciting. 
Paul is seeing people one to Christ. In verse number two, same chapter, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ. Jesus called to be saints with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from our God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul went to a place, and he's writing to a place he almost left. We almost may have not even gotten 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. There there almost was never going to be a church in Corinth. Because why? Paul was about to give up too soon. And I think that's what's going to happen to many of us. There's going to come a point, maybe you're not there yet, but there's going to come a point where you say, I'm kind of done. Especially when it gets hard. You know, the two things that destroy us the most, I actually think, is success. Because when you're down to nothing, ah, what can they do to me? I got nothing left. You're going to sue me? I got no money. You're going to take everything? I I don't have any stuff. There's nothing. When you're at the bottom, there's nowhere to go but up, right? It's when you actually have something, you're like, now I'm afraid of losing it. And see, at Christians, as soon as we actually start to get some momentum, then we start to mess up ourselves. But Paul was in that mindset, and here he needed to hear the voice of God to get him out of that mindset. You see, many of us, we would say like Paul, I've just run out of options. I've run out of options, God. God, I know what's going to happen. And that's how you feel. You feel like you're out of options. I can't stay here. I can't do this anymore. can't stay in this relationship. can't stay at this job. can't stay in this city. I've run out of options, God. But I love this. As you go back over verses 9 through 11, God did not give Paul encouragement. He gave Paul a commandment. You say, why is that so important? Why is that so important? Because as a Christian, we don't run on options We run on obedience. And many of you are saying, I've run out of options. This is all I can do, Pastor. I've got to go to this church. Or, Pastor, I've got to stop. I've got to leave this woman. I've got to leave this man. I've just run out of options. I've run out of patience on this person. No, you haven't. You've run out of obedience. That's what you've run out of. And as Christians, we run on obedience. Remember, Remember the old Chevron? America runs on Tecron. And they used to say, what are you running on? Some of you are like, I run on caffeine and Red Bull. Yeah. And then as you lift up your arm, you've got to intravenously feed right, right in your bloodstream with caffeine. You know, what, what are you running on? But as a Christian, we run on obedience. But how many Christians are saying, I run on options. So if it's optional, I'll do it. If it feels right, I'll do it. If I want to go to church, I'll go to church. I feel, I, I, I shouldn't do this. All of you watching online, I apologize. Some of you, you will skip church. And not come in person because you're like, I'll just catch the live stream. And then you're like, I heard this already. Yeah, we're, we, we're a week off, so don't ever, don't ever miss, you know, because you're going to be all messed up. So some of you are like, oh, I'm going to sleep in. And I'm like, I got you, you know. And it's like, sucker. No. And uh, it, 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 we just don't have the ability yet to be able to live stream, but we, we fake it till we make it. We act like it's a live stream. But as Christians, we love our options, don't we? We love our options. But Paul didn't have an option. Unless he wanted to disobey. But many Christians, we don't want to break it down like it's black or white, one or two. But that's really what it comes down to. Obey God or disobey God. And Paul said, I'm not going to run on options. I'm going to run on obedience. And what is God calling me to do? I love what Skip Heidsick says. He said, the church has gone from a prep rally to a pep rally. We're just there to pep you up, get some pep in your step, get you full of some Holy Ghost and go out there and come on, you can do it. No, no, no. The church is a prep rally to prepare you. How do you receive from God? How do you pray? How do you read the Bible? How do you hear from God? How do you know how to lead your life? How do you build Christian character? How do you get the encouragement that you need? And we do it through obedience because this is a prep rally, not a pep rally. And if you're looking for a church to just pep you up, pep you up, pep you up, then you are spiritually co-opting your spiritual life. You're wanting somebody else to do it for you. That's not the Christian life. You don't come, oh, you, you just dragged yourself in there. i got to pep you up. No, no, no. We should come in ready. This is an extension of my walk with God. This isn't everything in my walk with God. This is an extension of it. But if many of us, we're living as if church is the only time we get in God's word. Church is the only time we sing worship to God. Church is the only time we pray. Church is the only time we seek God. That's why you're spiritually malnourished. This is why spiritually you're dying. Because you're not saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to hear from you. And the church has turned into this pep rally. 
And I'm all about being excited and lifted up and encouraged. But there's a world out there we got to do battle with. And there's a foe. His name is Satan. He has taken names and he's destroying Christians left and right. And he has deceived many churches, many Christians. He is leading our country in a wrong direction. And I'm just stepping back and I'm dumbfounded by the amount of ignorance I see spewed out of some churches and some pastors. Because they won't open the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord. They won't stand, naming all kinds of excuses why they can't preach, why they can't tell people. Hey, next week, you know, the county is finally saying that, hey, you can have 100 people in the building. And there are pastors that are still saying, "Uh, we don't know about that. I'm saying, what are you waiting for? The county is even saying you can have 100. You're like, well, until we can have them all, we're just not going to do anything. Are you kidding me? Come on, pastors, wake up. Open up your church. Get some people in there. The people are dying on the vine. And you say, oh, no, they're fine. No, 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 no. People are not doing well. I've talked to too many in our own congregation that are hurting. I see way too many people out there. I've got the emails from people who are saying, hey, church was my one reprieve. I'm struggling with abuse. I'm struggling with things. Why? Because the church was a place where people to gather to receive from God and then go out and tackle this world. But yet we don't even have a place where we can come in together and strengthen one another, encourage one another, and, 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 and give somebody an air high five or an air hug. Or if you got the sticker that says hugger, you know, then you could kind of break that boundary if you want to. But this is a place where we're saying, you know what? We need to follow God. We need to follow his leading. But yet too often, we're stepping back and we're not listening to God. And many times, we give up too soon And we'll never see what God wants to see happen. So God is here and he's saying, hey, I have a victory for you. I have everything you need. But you and I have to understand that victory is connected to listening to the right voice. And that's where the church really needs to dial in. Whose voice are we listening to? Because I've talked to a whole lot of pastors who say, hey, well, you know what? Uh, Just this group of us pastors, we just don't feel like it's a good idea not once do I hear a pastor say, you know what, I just prayed on it. Holy Spirit just led me this way. Not one. Every Monday, Pastor Miss and I, we go and visit some pastors. And we try to encourage them. We're like, hey, when are you guys going to open up? Well, we just don't know if it's the right time. We're just not sure. Not once are they like, hey, we're, man, we prayed over it, and this is just what, what God said to us. Not once. And if that's the spirit, if that's the shepherds, what are the sheep doing? What are the sheep doing? I'm not trying to belittle anybody by calling them sheep. Please don't get offended. Write me an email and say, I can't believe you called me a sheep. Come on, sheep are cute and fluffy, all right? So take the positive with it, okay? So understand what I'm saying is that it's time when we say, you know what, we need to hear from God. We need to hear from God and what he is saying to us. Uh, It was almost four years ago to the day when I got fired. It was so fun. And uh, I was sitting in in an elders meeting, and it started at 6.30, and it was well past 12.30, where I was just getting chewed out, yelled at, told I was doing a terrible job, just a terrible job. And there may have been some truth to it. There may have been some. I don't know why I thought I was doing a terrible job. The church went from less than 200. We were running 400. They had never had the church campus remodeled. Thanks to many of you helped remodel the campus. It was coming back up. They had programs back up. They had never used their children's ministry in years. All of a sudden, all these things were happening. They had doubled in less than four months. So I was like, I don't know what we're complaining about. People are getting saved. People are being baptized. I don't know what's going on. And the man, that four-hour meeting just tore me up. I went home, and immediately, Jane, I woke her up, and I was like, I'm done. I'm done. That's it. I'm going to go be a plumber. I'm going to go do something else. I got to go do something, something else. And she told me, she was like, because I was done. She was like, did God tell you to quit? Just go back to sleep, woman. Who asked you? You know, just like, (laughs) no. But she was right. She was right. She's like, until God releases you, we're not going to leave. I was like, okay, good. You can preach on Sunday then. That's all you. I got you. I'll, make, I'll read the scripture before you preach then. How about that? I was salty, Selena. I was. I was so salty. Jane remembers it. Man, I just think back four years later. What would have happened if I just would have walked away? And I'm not trying to have a hero complex. I'm just saying, you know, it's too soon for you to walk away too. And I know we're going on 200 days of shelter in place where it just seems like, oh, it'd be a good time to quit on this. It'd be a good time to give up. And instead, it's saying, no, let's listen to God before we leave. 
Let's listen to see what his word has to say for us. Because I think we're going to let the momentum mess us up. So let's not get tricked into thinking that our past has to become our pattern. And let me end with that. Let's all stand. Let's all close. Because I'm afraid many of us are letting our past become a pattern when it doesn't have to be. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, this is uh, afternoon service. It's kind of inconvenient. It's at a different time. Your people have listened so well. And Father, I pray that we would take away what you want for us from this message. I pray, Father, you would stir us to get in your word. I pray, Lord, that we'd be humble enough to understand that we act out of obedience, not out of options. Because there's a great victory that you want to do, but it's connected to us hearing from your voice. And so, Father, I pray that if there is anybody that's hearing from you, it's got to be us Christians. We've got to know how. We've got to be able to teach and train our children how to hear from God. And so, Father, teach us to hear. The ancient prophet Eli told Samuel that when he hears from God, to say, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Father, may we have that heart, the humility to say we're a servant of you speak to us and lead us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you. I know many of you are facing challenges. Many of you have heavy burdens, prayer requests, things going on where you need to hear from God. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. But I want to encourage you just like Paul, how he listened to God and it changed the outcome for an entire city. If you're saying this afternoon, Pastor Micaiah, I could use some prayer on something help me to hear from God and pray for me that I would hear from God. Is that you with everybody heads bowed, eyes closed? You lift up your hand. Can I pray for you? Amen. Hands up all over. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for you and just after I get done praying for you, I'm going to open up the altar. If you want to come forward and pray, seek the Lord yourself. The worship team will play a song. We'll worship together before communion. Gracious Heavenly Father, you see these hands, you see these hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would have a church filled with people that just know how to listen to you. That if there's one thing that we know, is we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we heard from, we heard from God. That when you told us to do something, we knew we were in complete obedience to what you called us to do. So, Father, may we be filled with the peace that comes with obeying you. Lord, would you encourage these that have raised their hands to seek you. I pray that you would bless them. Father, I pray in this moment that you speak to the hearts that are humble and open. Would you give us ears to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open and you come now as we worship.